Hello, folks, and welcome to The Farm, a podcast dedicated to culture, parapolitics, and high weirdness in all its many forms. This is your host, Recluse, a.k.a. Stephen Snyder, the longtime curator of the Visa blog and author of a special relationship, Trump, Epstein, and the Secret History of the Anglo-American Establishment. If you like what you hear here today, be sure to check me out at visaview.blogspot.com. That's V-I-S-U-P-V-I-E-W, all one word, .blogspot.com, and procure a copy of that book my other works at the farm's official store which is at the farm store that is the farm podcast all one word dot store and please consider signing up for the farm's patreon you get two additional full-length shows per month on the lowest tier that's between three and four hours of bonus material with exclusive guests and content and all access patrons you get access to our weekly zoom or monthly rather zoom parties state of the union addresses and all kinds of other goodies as i have to do on my ongoing investigations analysis of geopolitical events and so forth so definitely think about that guys anyway today's guest is making his second appearance on the farm he is a veteran of the anti-war movement former a former community organizer and currently an over-educated techno peasant laborer with dreams of building a farm cooperative on his tiny slice of green belt outside of metro detroit Motor City, a.k.a. As a student activist at Eastern Michigan University from 2007 to 2015, he started an idiosyncratic study group devoted to that which each member was curious about in their field, but which was largely excluded or was the first topic to drop off the syllabus once the professor got behind the schedule. When the Polymath Union of Unique Individuals, a new organization emerged, students for an ethical and participatory education. The organization began raising awareness and around a number of human rights, labor rights, and generally student rights, as well as a more utopian vision for what education could be and its role within the larger community for greater personal anonymity and social well-being, as opposed to the trend towards more extreme authoritarian and technocratic corporate models accumulating ultimately in the campaign to in the EAA. Yeah, okay. He has an undergraduate degree in history and philosophy from EMU, as well as a master's degree in social foundations of education, where he focused on the intersections of the philosophy and history of technology, ideals and social organizations around the goals of cultural and social reproduction and transformation. He is particularly fond of the works of Louis Munford, Ivan Illich, and Paolo Ferrari. Ferrari, yep. He spent a year working in student-run democratic free school, living communally, and working on a variety of community organizing projects. Since completing his master's degree, he has been working the techno-peasant dream, drifting between gig work and various manual and service jobs, from driving garbage trucks and heavy equipment landfills to cashiering local food ops and driving the neighborhood library bookmobile. And I'm guessing he was also a member of a William Faulkner Appreciation Literary <laughs> Society at some point. Phil, thank you so much for dropping by again today, sir. Hey, it is a real pleasure. First off, I, if I could, I'd just like to share a couple of synchronicities I had today that got me real geared up for this show. Go for it, sir. So first, I, I took my child to a, a uh, body adjustment, you know, kind of massage type thing. Um, and... All of the books in the waiting room were all of the dirty titles y'all have been talking about on here. Mar Marianne Williams, uh, Cult of St. Germain stuff, um, Just the Gambit. Um, <laughs> just, uh, and then I was driving around and I stopped with my spouse and the house we stopped in had Florida Lees spray painted on all their windows. 
and that'll probably make sense towards the end of the show. Um, and, uh, and then as I was coming up here, my spouse put on a television show for my kid to help keep them entertained. And the title was high strangeness. So here we go. Sounds about right. <laughs> All right. Today's show is a bit of a follow-up to the one I did with Dr. Inferno on U.S. Route 23 in Ohio. So I urge all of you to give that show a listen if you're unfamiliar with this particular road. Stretching from Jacksonville, Florida to nearly the Canadian border in Michigan, U.S. Route 23 cuts through Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia, and Kentucky as well. It is sometimes known as the Hillbilly Highway due to the Scots-Irish migration from Appalachia to the Midwest that unfolded along this route during the mid-20th century. So this alone would make it one of America's most storied highways, but it features many strange structures and places off of it, including many of Ohio's most important remaining Native American earthworks and the occult shrine that is the Biltmore in Asheville, North Carolina. It's also seemed to attract a incredible amount of country singers that grew up along it too. There's even a country music museum, I believe in Kentucky dedicated to uh, of the uh, performers that came from Highway U.S. Route 23. And if that were not enough, it is also awash with trafficking, rogues, arms, and human. This is especially epidemic in Ohio and Georgia, but as we shall see, it is also a major issue in Michigan. Surprise there. So on that note, let us start the show. You've heard some stories about U.S. Route 23 in Ohio as well. Uh, before we start getting into some of the activities there in Michigan, would you mind going over your Ohio truck stop story? Uh, for those of you who haven't listened to the last show I did on U.S. Route 23 in Ohio, I think this will give people a sense of the type of activities that were fairly common off of it nowadays. All right. So to uh, set the scene, um... I was having a bit of a reunion with some old college friends and we were going to uh, just river tube down the Huron River. Um, and so while we were drifting, um, chit-chatting, there, my friend from Ohio, uh, she lives near Toledo, asked if, uh, you know, if we'd lost anybody to COVID or anything. Um, and we all answered. And then uh, she said, well, I've actually lost a few people but it's it's not all the COVID. And I've been having to help my cousin take care of her kids. And 
okay, well, this has our attention. Uh, so her cousin, cousin's husband, or uh, used to manage a truck stop. This was fairly recently, um, within the last year, um, that I believe was was off Route 23. Um, and there he had been seeing irregularities, and he wanted to make sure that everything was being done by the book so that things like human trafficking weren't happening. So he went and had a conversation with his his underling about the irregularities going on. Um, that evening, he had uh, his head bashed in and his coworker that he had the talking to has not been seen again. Um, so merely on the suspicion that something might have been happening and not even accusing this guy specifically, just trying to tighten up procedures to help curtail black op, you know, uh, not black, black market activities. Uh, he was murdered. And my, my, my college friend is now having to help raise his children. Um, so that is a very real, <laughs> uh, you know, it is not just abstract things to read about online. Uh, it is very real. It is affecting people just like, um, the stories you shared about uh, uh, Chilicote, um, the consequences are very real. Yeah, it is absolutely horrendous. And I mean, you know, U.S. Uh, Route 23 has also been a major factor in uh, the ongoing epidemic of opioid abuse that's uh, been gripping the nation now for a good chunk of the 21st century. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's brought a lot of death. That's uh, no question at this point. So, all right. First off, tell us about U.S. Route 23 in Michigan. Uh, what are some of the major areas that it passes through? Okay, well, uh, so let's start with where Michigan used to be, right? The Toledo Strip uh, back in the day. The very the, the strip between Toledo and Michigan, immediately to the east of 23, is called uh what Hopewell Hopewell Gardens. Let me see, I had it pulled up here. Um Hopewell Heights. So immediately you have that illusion. Um Hopewell Heights, just right there, right before you cross the border. And what I'm would assuming that's like after the Hopewell civilization, right? Yeah, I would assume. I would assume. Uh so you when you come up 23, it's mostly farms. Uh, it's old, just old farm grids, um, lots of old churches, tiny corner, uh, you know, corner villages. Um, and eventually you get up to the first larger area. It's called Dundee. And in a survey done by the University of Michigan, um, it's pretty old, but it was online. So it was a good resource. Um show that there was quite a bit of Native American activity in Dundee um, originally. Uh, you cross the River Raisin, which is somewhat famous because uh, Colonel uh, what Custard lived off the River Raisin. In fact, it's North Custard Road, runs along the River Raisin all the way to Monroe. Um, so that's an interesting bit of history. You keep going up 23. You get to Milan. Milan is where the state penitentiary is. It also has a lot of Native American history, and it also is a major center for trucking and rail freight. 
but it's a pretty cute small town honestly uh i used to work uh i used to drive that route on my my trash trash job and it was my favorite day for sure um but the penitentiary is very much uh dominating the landscape and the economy along with the freight industry um so you keep going up north and you hit a town called Milan. oh did i talk about Milan? yeah oh i mentioned Milan. all right is there like one like called granola like after that that seems like it would go good with custard and raisin <laughs> uh i don't see that unfortunately but i agree um so then you get up to some places that more people will have heard of. Uh, on the left, a little farther north, you have Saline Township, Saline, the city of Saline, which I found out in my research I've actually been pronouncing incorrectly uh, because apparently it was named because the Native Americans there uh, had salt, there were salt springs that they used to do salt cultivation from. So I guess I need to start calling it uh, Saline. Uh, I don't know how the people will feel about that, uh, but there you go. Uh, but then you get into my area. Uh, on the west side, you have Ann Arbor, and on the east side, you have uh, Ypsilanti. On the west side is the University of Michigan, and on the east side is Eastern Michigan University. And if you look, it's very balanced, almost like... Uh, the balance of the the tarot card, you know, it's like a scales, it's scales. And that's something I'd like to keep in mind for this interview is the idea of a, a suggestion of symmetry, a symmetry east, west, and north, south between Michigan and, and Florida and east and west. Um, Ann Arbor is, uh, I mean, the University of Michigan is huge it's huge its impact its importance is hard to articulate um it was founded originally to be the secular ivy league for the east coast elite and that is very palpable especially in the older areas of town um around south university everything is masonic every light post has a masonic stamp on it um there's the campus is covered in in occult imagery um the people involved are all very well moneyed uh uh you know come from old lines um and there's a lot of high strangeness i mean so much military so much big tech um founder of google came through there uh papa doc and haiti i mean eric came goes, through there um, uh schwartzman or not schwartz uh, uh which one um schmidt, eric schmidt the google the google i think Spain. eric schmidt um he actually is one of the one of the original co-founders can't remember if it's eric schmidt oh not okay yeah no he wasn't a co-founder no okay no. Oh, okay but he actually gave the uh graduation speech when my brother graduated from u of m uh so and now google across so if you think of ann arbor it's very elite very moneyed uh very high culture and very tech you go over to emu it is working class. It's the kids of union workers. It's uh, kids from from poor communities, uh, people of color. Uh, and it is also the most friendly 
uh, consistently it's regarded as the best campus for veterans of the military. Um, which I think is people would not expect, uh, but it is it is consistently regarded as one of the best the best schools for for veterans to attend. Um, their ROTC is definitely outsized for the campus. Um, and we'll get into some other stuff about that. But I think just seeing that dichotomy and the divide, the Highway 23 is the divide. Um, uh, the, the homeless people go to Ann Arbor for services, you know, and they go to Ann Ipsy to have cheaper, more peaceful time. Um, or also the black market, you know, there's obviously a black market, both places, but it's a very different feeling, uh, with rich undergrads driving Maseratis. Uh, the black market scene feels a lot different there than it does at Eastern um, with a bunch of working class kids just trying to, you know, enjoy their weekend or whatnot. Um, and what's really interesting, so as soon as 23 crosses into Ohio, it is designated by the Michigan legislature as United Spanish War Veterans Memorial Highway. And that's something really important to keep in mind too. Anyone who is aware of the history of American empire. Um, yeah, a lot I'd, of it was driven by Ohio. And I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's very fitting because yeah, McKinley was who got us into the Spanish American war. He was a native mm -hmm. son of Ohio. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, it's cute. <laughs> and then you also get, uh, so this is, this is something really interesting. Um, so I, when I, I was doing searches on, on the Memorial Highway, what came up was a memorial statue called the Hiker. And I thought it was kind of familiar, but I just kept reading about the Hiker. Uh, it was made by this woman, uh, Theo, let's see, um, Kitson, I think. I got it pulled up here. Uh, a Theo Alice Ruggles Kitson. Uh, and she was the, I think, the first woman to get an honorable mention at the French Salon in 1888. She showed her stuff at the uh, the World Fair at the the uh, 1893 Colum the oh, World's Colombian Exposition. The Colombian, well, yeah, that, is that, that that was Chicago, right? Colombia. Yeah, I believe Exposition. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She'd have yep. forgotten too. It was dedicated to Colombia. Oh, that is interesting. I kind of have like um. A, few, uh, a theory that uh, Columbia is uh, sort of like the patron saint of 23, obviously, it goes through Columbus, huh. but there's also um, Athens, Athenia, which I think is closely related to that as well. And, Interesting. Um, Wait, say also, that last bit one more time. I didn't catch that. Ath Athens, Athenia. Okay. I think that's like kind of related to Columbia mm -hmm. as well. But I mean, also, Interesting. Too, you've uh, been to the Society of Cincinnati's headquarters in D.C., which I swear one of these days I'm going to do a post on uh, the Patreon about this. But I mean, there's a lot of really elaborate artwork and they're depicting Columbia uh, throughout it. And of course, I mean, the Society of Cincinnati was just instrumental in, you know, founding the whole state of Ohio. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of think that's uh, intentional and very interesting there. Right. Now, the the figure she sculpted isn't just to commemorate the Spanish-American War, although that was the group that bought the memorial that had it placed everywhere. 
Uh, it was also to commemorate the Philippine-American War and the participation of the U.S. in putting down the Boxer Rebellion. Um, and you would think they just renewed this this designation in, in 2015, 2016. And at this point, um, those wars are not the most popular wars in American history um, for the people who know what they were, what they were about. Um, but they also very dark the beginning times. of the, uh, the American empire overseas effectively, which is why, I mean, I think people in the know would want this kind of stuff like commemorated. Um, Definitely. Definitely. Uh, okay, so once you get through, I mean, we could talk about Ypsilon. Oh, I'll, I'll, let me finish this point. Okay, so it was bothering me, the hiker. I was like, that's really familiar. I was reading all the places where it was posted, and it's mostly, it's all over the place, but there were definitely a disproportionate amount in Michigan, New York, and Pennsylvania. Um, there were three of hers in Michigan. Grand, it was Grand Rapids, Kalamazoo, and Lansing which is nowhere near US-23. But then I just kept racking my brain and I was like, isn't there a Spanish-American memorial in front of EMU? And, and there is, and it is also called the Hiker. And it is also designated for the same purposes. Um, it is a similar statue, but slightly different. And that one's plastered all over the place too. And most of them, so the the uh, the original sculpture was sold to a company. Um, I had it pulled up. There are different companies for each statue, but they were both put up about 50 to 52 times, um, which is interesting given the number of states we have, right? Um, and 52 is suggestive <laughs> of aspirations, um, manifest destiny. Uh, So there is a statue of the hiker, albeit a different version, but it's a similar statue. It's a little different. It's a little more masculine, um, but it's called the hiker and they, they were nicknamed the hikers. Um, you know how like uh, World War I soldiers are called the Doughboys um, and I forget the nickname for World War II. I'm blanking on it right now, um, but for the Spanish-American War, they nicknamed the soldiers the hikers. And they were depicted as rugged, working-class working class men, uh, right, who um, very sensible and rugged, right, the American kind of pioneer ideal. And I think it's really that whole image is really important. And especially when you counteract 23 up in Michigan, uh, versus 23 when it gets farther south towards uh, Florida. Um, I think you kind of, it kind of implies, like I said, there's a symmetry in the north. 23 goes all the way up to Mackinac, Mackinac Island, which is the very, or Mackinac City, which is at the very tip of the lower peninsula, right where the bridge is that connects the upper and lower peninsula. <clears throat> and it is very rugged. It is very rugged. As soon as you get past the thumb of Michigan, just past Saginaw, uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot of resorts, you know, and uh, uh, vacation houses along the lake, but it's mostly woods. Um, it's woods and swamp. That mystique 
of that that the hiker i think is indicative of the route itself through michigan um they're really trying to capture this way of life and when you get up to mackinac anyone who knows about mackinac island itself it is a live action role play of life in the the early 1800s a lot of the island is modern but there are no cars allowed Um, it's all pedestrian, bicycles, walking, horses, a lot of big horse culture on Mackinac Island. Um, they maintain an old, the original four, not the original, the, the original got torn, whatever. <laughs> One of the newer forts that they built that continues that they maintain. Um, and you contrast that with Florida, which is, you know, people go there to party, people go there for vacation. Uh, people go there for Disney World for for the magic and the mystery. Um, that's a very entertainment based. Um, if you want to talk about it in like anthrop uh, uh, anthroposophical terms, you, they'd call it like the Luciferian. You know, it's all lights and glamour, right? But when you get up north and you get past all this, the cities which are very industrial. right very metal very base material it's very rugged and you have this other other pole to the american uh american society so i think that's that's interesting to observe um, Yeah, I'll, I'll, um, I'll make another uh, observation about the uh, two connecting or the two uh, endpoints for 23 Jacksonville and uh, McIntyre. Uh, and of course, the you know area around uh, the uh, you know beyond it with the island and what have you. But um, uh, before Jacksonville was really industrialized, I mean, it always had a fantastic natural harbor and uh, it was, uh, was such a big hideout for pirates and that kind of thing. Uh, back in the day in the glory days of the Caribbean <laughs> sort of thing but uh, as I understand it so was the area around Mackinac Island uh, which we'll get to here in a little bit there was a uh, quite a bit of piracy that was conducted there at least in the 19th century um, by a certain cult <laughs> I'm so somewhat familiar with what you speak yeah 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 so there is also in light of some of the things we're going to get into with uh, a lot of the trafficking and what have you I do find it interesting that the two areas uh do have this uh that they were U.S. were 23 pins and ends depending upon your point of view both of them have a kind of legacy of trafficking And I mean, really, to this day, I mean, Jacksonville is a major harbor. I'm sure a lot of drugs are probably brought into it uh, still. And the same thing with um, this whole area. I mean, it's right by the Great Lakes. And um, yeah, again, you know, while It's we got don't, a... we don't normally think of trafficking a lot to Canada, I mean, there is probably a lot more than what we uh, generally acknowledge. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, all right. <laughs> So, you know, you've driven professionally on U.S. Route 23, if I remember correctly. Correct. So Yep. what's it like being on the road uh, specifically? It is definitely uh, bizarrely dangerous. Um, it's a straight shot. It feels like a... It, uh, it's a nice wide open road. I mean, none of the roads in Michigan are that great. Uh, we don't maintain our roads well. Um, <laughs> for being the automobile state, we have some of the worst roads. Uh, it's, I guess it keeps you going back to the dealership. Um, <laughs> uh, but so I'll, so when I first started driving, 
bigger vehicles professionally. I drove garbage trucks for our company and our yard was just north of Ann Arbor in a small town, uh, uh, inland lake town called Whitmore Lake. And Whitmore Lake definitely has some strange, it has a feel to it. I won't go into any more than that, <laughs> but if you hang out there, you're going to, you're going to feel, this is a strange place. Um, but our yard was, was right off the expressway there on 23 to get trained. I drove down to Columbus, Ohio, which is where their regional headquarters were. And that's where our training took place. Um, and I actually disappeared after class one day because I wanted to go do some sightseeing, you know, not a lot of the of the other garbage truck drivers wanted to go down to the bookstore, go check out an old native American mound. So I had to go by myself, you know, <laughs> um, but there was a mound right in Columbus. Shrum mound. Yep. Shroom or shrum. I'm not sure. Shroom? Uh, S H R U M. Huh? Interesting. And it's, uh, overlooks a bluff along the river and uh it's a pretty good sized mountain it's not huge but it's very you know it's a very clear conical mound um but the weirdest thing about it is to get to it i just drove through endless industrial sprawl freight yards um chained up industrial industrial factory yards um it was just all industrial sprawl and freight shipping and then uh some kind of you know uh cheaper apartment complexes mixed throughout and so i was kind of shocked um the park is pretty well maintained but it's just a small little square uh just protecting the mound um and that was really interesting to see. And they also have a great bookstore if anyone's in Columbus uh, and uh, go to Old Germantown. It's the place for sure. Um, great bookstore there. If you ask the person uh, where the books are, they'll get you on a watch list. Uh, she will point you in all the directions. Um, she's ready for you. <laughs> uh, so that that's how I got started driving on 23 and I've driven all over Southwest Michigan and Northern Ohio, um, initially driving garbage trucks. And, uh, let me tell you that I got my job driving garbage trucks because the week before one of a driver who is getting trained ran over the driver who was training him. And what also happened was two drivers that weekend went to the domicile of one of the loaders and shot him in the head. And so there were three new openings at the Whitmore Lake yard. And did you know it? I needed a job <laughs> and I already had a CDL. So there you go. Uh, uh, Bill Gates had just bought the company I worked for. The company had profited $14.2 billion the year before and not a single truck in our fleet could have passed DOT inspection. Not at all. Uh, I asked the maintenance. I was like, you know, you're paying tickets. You got to be paying tens and tens of thousands of dollars of tickets every month because your trucks aren't maintained. She says, yes, we do. She said, 
many tens of thousands a month. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, we just budget for it. We just budget for it. And I was driving a truck that the brakes went out of alignment within a couple hours every day. The hydraulics sprayed and misted, draining half a tank of hydraulic fluid every day. That's like, uh, it was, it was like a hundred, it drained like $120 worth of hydraulic fluid a day that sprayed directly in the face of my loader or me when I was right in the back of it and then drained down onto the street and drained, <laughs> drained into the drains. Um, and they would rather have paid the $120, $140 to refill that tank than to properly fix it and to keep us safe and to keep the environment safe. Let me tell you, people do not understand uh, the back end of our economy. Um, landfills. There's a lot of 20 uh, landfills around 23. But specifically, um, it's a very dangerous stretch of, of road, and it's a strangely dangerous stretch of road. There's an interchange um, by just north of Ann Arbor called 14. And for the uh, 14 and 23 go alongside, you know, they pair up for, for a little a little bit just around the edge of Ann Arbor. And that connection point is one of the most gory things I've ever seen. I mean, I have seen some gore on that corner more than once. In fact, two weeks ago, they just found a guy who had been killed in a hit and run right there that had been missing for five days and no one had seen him. He'd been laying in the ditch. Um, a guy that I used to work with, he rolled his garbage truck right past North and the area right past North Ann Arbor in particular on 23. Uh, I've seen it, it at least anecdotally. And I think, uh, well, no, I do know um, because they, they added an experimental addition to 23 right there between Ann Arbor and about Brighton to try to reduce the fatalities. They added what they call a flex lane, which is a lane they just opened during rush hour, basically. Um, otherwise, it's just for emergency access. But they had to do it because it was so dangerous. But if you drive it, you would not understand why. It is wide open. It is better maintained than other stretches. Um, gentle curves. There is one curve, though, which is where the guy I worked with, he rolled his garbage truck, where you come around and there, it, there can be, you come around the curve and there can, you can suddenly be in traffic. Um, and I've almost been caught in that before too. Um, so driving along 23, it's, uh, there are a lot of interesting, strange towns too, uh, farther north up from Whitmore Lake is Brighton. Uh, Brighton definitely has a lot of money and is incredibly conservative, incredibly militaristic. Um, the kind of law and propaganda people put out, you know, but it's also very, uh, you know, they're not hillbillies, right, uh, about it. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of cult cultivated. Um, and a what a lot of people don't think about of the American tradition of white supremacist fascism is it's not all KKK. It's not all, you know, people who identify with rural life and rural culture. Fascism in Michigan, a lot of it postures itself as being very rational, very cultured. <coughs> um, and you definitely see that. 
All right. So I guess that that kind of answers the question of my driving experience on 23. I, I've driven garbage trucks. I've driven delivery trucks. I've driven um, uh, heavy dump trailers for construction debris. Um, all, all around 23 up north. Um, and there is a lot of money that arcs from Lansing. There's a, a whole series of lakes that go around the top of Detroit and all the way up to, to north of Whitmore Lake. Uh, a lot of nice little lakes, and it's all very... Um, each lake has its own community, its own feel, and there's a lot of money. Um, and it just rings the top of Detroit. Uh, it's not the same around the south, uh, but it's definitely true around the north with all the lakes, and it goes goes clearly through the crescent of 23. You keep going north through 23, and eventually you get to Flint, which, you know, Flint is notorious. Uh, and for what happened under the Snyder regime that we talked a lot about with the uh, water issues, which is still a huge problem, and uh, it's not just Flint. Um, <laughs> it's still a big problem. There's still articles being written all the time about predominant the water quality in predominantly black uh, communities in Michigan. Um, did you want to get into the lodge near Flint now, or should we talk about that later? We'll get into that later. Uh, let's get into some high weirdness for a minute. I mean, I've noted that much of history 23 in Ohio runs near Major Adina and Hopewell Earthworks. You know, you kind of just got into that, too, with uh, Shroom or Shroom or whatever it's properly called. Uh, I've heard the Detroit area once featured numerous uh, Native American yep. artworks, and later these, uh, the so-called Star Forts, were established there first by the American, or first by the British, then the Americans. And I believe in the case of the American one, it was like Fort Wayne. It was uh, built out yep. the remnants of um, uh, one of the Native American earthworks. Uh, so, is there anything like that on uh, off of Twenty Three in Michigan? Uh, so there is that I'm aware of. If you look at the archaeology, absolutely. Um, we'll, we're, right now, we'll just talk about from crossing the border up until about Flint. Um, absolutely, but it's not apparent. There's no uh, feature, you know, there's no um, parks or uh, public places or museums, really. Um, if you look at an archaeological survey, they're there, you know. Um, but once you get north of Flint and 23 breaks off and starts hugging the Lake Huron on this way north, after you get past the thumb area of Michigan and everything's Native American, all the names are Native American. Um, there's, oh, there's even a, a I know you mentioned in, uh, in one of your podcasts about a devil's lake, right? Well, there's actually two devil's lakes pretty close to us 23 one of them is in southern uh southern michigan it's off to the east and it's uh near a small township called uh new rome i think or rome r-o-m-e as in italy and then the other one is farther north on the eastern side well of the state well still to the west of 23 because 23 is literally against <laughs> lake michigan um, and it's right next to the 45th parallel marker, 
you got Devil's Lake right at the 45th parallel marker on 23, um, which is pretty interesting. Um, and the, the other Devil's Lake in Southern Michigan that is a bit to the west of 23 um, is also called uh, uh, Lake Manitou. It's Lake Manitou or Devil's Lake, which Manitou is, you know, the word for uh, some of the entities of Native American culture, right? Basically a spirit and or entity, right? Um, so you definitely have that. Uh, but once you get farther north, once you get towards Mackinac, I mean, all along, all along used to be ancient rice fields, right? This whole area along Lake Huron, I mean, all of these rivers and inland lakes, it's just rife with it all along 23, all along Lake Huron and Michigan generally. But um, there's been a lot of research now on the originally how much rice there was. It was thought that like Green Bay used to be like the rice area for the Native Americans back in the day. And that Michigan had some, but, you know, it was Green Bay. Everyone went to Green Bay, the Green Bay area for the big harvests. Uh, now there's a lot of research that shows that Michigan was just absolutely covered in rice fields and that there were active public works in the late 1800s and again in the 1950s to, quote, drain the swamps of Michigan. In the 1880s, uh, I forget the reason, I think it was for canals to help help uh, traversing them. Um, they removed the, they drained and cleared a lot of rice fields to, to make transport easier. And in the fifties, they said it was to control the mosquito population. Um, but they really destroyed a massive, massive, um, food system. Um, so you have that all over Michigan, but definitely up along the 23 route along, uh, the northeastern coast of, of Michigan. Now, when you get to Mackinac, there is an interesting place that I found. Um, <clears throat> now, Mackinac, Mackinac City and Mackinac Island, you know, Mackinac Island was a strategic center for controlling the Straits of Mackinac. Um, so it was, you know, the French had interests there. The U.S. had interests. It's, it has a very storied history it is a place that has had a lot of interest going way back for a lot of different peoples um there are a lot of little lakes right along that area and many of them are credited as having native american burial grounds and being particular spots of interest you also start to see copper deposits start turning up <clears throat> and there are lots of mounds on some of these islands um just in the UP. So 23 technically ends in Mackinac City. But I think it's interesting that directly across into the UP is uh, a place that doesn't get talked about very much, but I found it cited in this uh, U of M archaeological survey from the 1930s. Um, and in that survey is called either uh, Sitting Rabbit Rock or Standing Rabbit Rock. And it was said that uh, when travelers went past this area, they would always make a point to stop. And it was considered to be a one of the particularly powerful uh, manitous um, 
and forgive me if I'm misrepresenting or this is just my research. There are definitely historians who, and obviously people from the culture in question who should be consulted. I'm just telling you what I've learned. Um, and the story about this rock is very interesting. It's basically Pandora's box. Um, the story, as I've read it, is that um, this entity gave the Ojibwe people a package and that package granted them immortality. Um, but the wife of the chief, you know, whatever, cut the cord and the immortality escaped, right? It's very similar to Pandora, the Pandora's box myth. Uh, myth that I thought was very interesting, but it's still considered uh, a very important uh, spiritual spot. Um, and it's really close to a, a rock that is more obvious called Castle Rock, um, which is a very big prominent feature. So it's really interesting about Mackinac, Mackinac Island. Mackinac Island is a limestone island. And so you have a lot of interesting features on that island. Let's see, you have a, a place called Cave of the Woods, Sunset Rock. Um, there's actually a rift right in the middle of the island, a huge, just a crevasse from where the, the limestone or, uh, was, was washed out that you can walk down into that is definitely anyone who studied, you know, um, shamanism um, is going to see that and say, yeah, people, <laughs> people are going to use that for religious symbolism. Um, it's quite striking. Uh, it's quite a striking feature. Um, I remember I went as a little kid, uh, but I haven't been there in a long time. Um, I knew some people who actually used to work at the fort as uh, historical reenactors. That's kind of the dream job. I had a history degree, right? So uh, a lot of the guys or a lot of the people generally who, who really wanted to do history careers, would that was one of the jobs you could get to get you through is summer internships up at Mackinac Island. It is, it is a tourist place just as much as uh, a lot of spots in, uh, in Florida are, but it is for a very different purpose. It is, you know, this is American history. This is how hard we worked. This is, you know, what a, what rugged, rugged life was like, you know, out in the Northern wilderness. Right. It's also interesting to note that you had like, um, uh, the devil's legs too in Michigan. I mean, obviously, you know, I've talked about the one at, uh, Wisconsin for a while now. Right, right. I was used by the, uh, by, uh, the uh, sector on Michael Bertrio to kind of perform these, uh, Lovecraftian rituals and what have you in the seventies there. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, fascinating to see the, uh, different devil's legs here also cropping up in Michigan. Were they, you know, kind of tied to some of the Native American traditions of the, uh, the horned serpent or something? Well, I'd say, uh, well, I don't know. So partially you have the phenomenon where, you know, settlers. So the, the lake that's to the south is, is double named. It's uh, Manitou Lake or the Devil's Lake, Devil's Lake, right? And so Manitou just means, right, like Native American spirit, right? Um, deity, I don't know exactly what the best um analogy would be so you can see that dual purpose name it it's like well this is an important this lake is named after some native american spirit you know so we'll call it the devil you know i don't know if it was alluding to a you know what specific deity but when you get 
into Huron and especially when you get up to to Mackinac and um, when you get involved with copper, that's when the sea serpents start coming. (laughs) Uh, The uh, the entities that uh, protect the copper in particular are thought to be uh, dangerous sea serpents Um, and you have to placate them and you can't take too much and you have to respect it. Right. Or the serpent's going to get you. It'll flip your boat. Right. Um, so that's definitely part of it there. Does that, does that answer your question? Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Well, how about some of the military installations on and along 23 then? I believe you have mentioned <sighs> some of those too. So, so uh, I thought there was more. And research, obviously, you can't just Google map military installations, right? They don't, <laughs> they don't make it that easy on you. Um, so I guess what I, what I would really focus on is the history of 23. Um, and if you want to get a little bit into the number magic, right? 23 is a Discordian number, but an even more Discordian, I don't know about more, but I'd say more important to the theology, if you will, is the number five, Right. Um, yeah, the law, law of fives, five. yeah, right? Yeah. So two, two plus three equals five, obviously. Um, so 23, you know, it goes down, it touches Virginia and goes all the way down south to Jacksonville, right? In Florida, you have NASA, right? Um, you have the naval bases. Uh, Michigan has actually a lot of naval bases. Um, the Coast Guard is very prominent in Michigan as well. Um, the, uh, and they actually do quite a bit of work, um, trying to stop trafficking. A lot of a lot of it trying to stop trafficking. Uh, probably some facilitating trafficking, I would imagine. Uh, but that's speculation, informed speculation, but speculation. Um, but what you have historically is Ypsilanti. You had the Willow Run bombing plant. In World War II, the Willow Run bombing plant pumped out a large bomber every hour. And it was part of the U.S. strategy of just overwhelming bombing runs, broad daylight bombing runs. The planes that likely dropped all of the napalm on Dresden, I believe, probably came from Willow Run. Um yeah, they were kind of satirizing this, like in oh, Catch Twenty Two, right? And then also yep. Slaughterhouse Five, too, right? Yep, for sure. That's yeah, yeah. That's that was one of the big parts of Slaughterhouse Five, the Dresden bombings. Um, I, incidentally, the runway for Willow Run, the bomber plant, is actually dumped behind my house in the woods. Um, I go walk <laughs> walk through the ruins sometimes. Um, it's a little eerie, uh, to be honest. Uh, um, there's just mounds of rubble. They just dumped it in the woods. Um, and uh, ironically, on a plot that's uh, now holds a conservative church. Uh, so I think that's really interesting too. That that the site where they dumped the the runway is now a church. Um, you know, at the front of it, uh, a, a conservative conservative uh, uh, proud. They're probably three-point Calvinists. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that terminology. 
Well, just in general, Calvinist. And yeah, Calvinist yeah, they definitely. I actually worked with a guy who goes to that church, so I got a little bit of insight into what they believe. Um, they definitely strike me as a Calvinist type. Because um, I'm not mistaken, it's like what the Prince family and um, um, oh yeah, the, the Dutch and the other ones in the Michigan area subscribe to that really like kind of hardline uh, Calvinist theology. All West Michigan, the Dutch West Michigan. Uh, there's a bunch of Dutch that settled in well holland right holland michigan <laughs> right outside of grand rapids um holland michigan is so dutch that the dutch royalty come and visit you know and it's a big deal right they put out the stops for you know and they visit with the princes uh especially the uh and um the amway folks um right uh the devosses right which eric prince is related to um so, but that's on the west side of the state. Um, not too close to 23, but it definitely gives you. And also, uh, <laughs> this. so this is interesting. I know this is kind of random. Um, so there's a really famous band camp in northern Michigan. It's more on the west side. Uh, what's it called? It's called Interlocking, right? Um, and... Uh, Jeffrey Epstein was a big donor to Interlochen. If you went to Interlochen as a high school band member, you were probably one of the best in the country at what you played, right? Um, and uh, band camp, right? Uh, you remember the movie American Pie? And she's going to band camp, right? The whole joke about what she did in band camp. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Well, if you pay really close to attention to that movie, you briefly get to see a map where they're trying to have their big party. Their party is in South Haven, Michigan. It is based in Michigan. And the band camp is interlocking. So you have this very prominent movie... And from the early, what, late 90s, early 2000s, I forget when it came out, that was incredibly sexually, you know, charged and explicit, you know, taboo, um, you know, is a thrill to see as a high schooler, right? Um, with this joke about, about you know, uh, <laughs> uh, masturbating with a flute, uh, and it's interlocking, and interlocking is one of Jeffrey Epstein's uh you know, uh, investments, if you will. So I just think that's interesting. Not, not related to 23 specifically, but I'm just going to put that out there. It's some interesting... Uh... Yeah, yeah, no, it isn't. <laughs> in that movie in that context, especially. Yep, yep. But not entirely surprised to learn Michigan is one of the worst states for human trafficking in the entire country. It makes sense due to its close proximity to Canada, but we normally think of trafficking primarily being oh. an issue at the southern border. But the flow of contraband more earth may be even more disturbing. So give us an overview of the human trafficking situation in Michigan to start off with, man. All right. First, I got one more thing to say about okay, your last question, the military. I just remembered. And it connects. Okay. So 23 connects with 96 up in Brighton. If you follow 96 east towards Metro Detroit, you connect with what is called Mound Road. Right. And I'd have to say that that is an illusion. 
the, there were mounds here, right? Uh, Saint, it's near St. Clair Shores, and there are definitely um, mounds that have been documented there. But Mound Road, after the wars ramped up in the Middle East under Bush Jr., Mound Road was the epicenter for the military-industrial complex in Southeast Michigan. You had BAE, you had Lockheed Martin, everybody was building complexes on Mound Road. Um, so it's not directly off of 23, but it's a short connection down 96 to get there. And you know, they, you know, they're, people are going to be using 23 to get to Mound Road and the military infrastructure there, the, uh, the, the contractors and all that, right? <clears throat> okay, can, uh, can you restate the question now? I just, I just had to get that out. No, no, that's definitely good, man. Um, all right, so the human trafficking. Ah, yes. Can you give us like kind of an overview of that to start off with? Okay, um, this is all going to be anecdotal, right? I didn't look up stats. Um, you know, it's bad. It's bad everywhere. Um, so I'm just going to share my personal anecdotes. When I moved to Ann Arbor, I, in the mid-2000s, uh, my brother had just graduated from University of Michigan. I was living with him in North Ann Arbor, a little down the road from 23, but it was the main expressway I would take to get anywhere um, in a small, small, kind of, you know, small town just outside of it. And um, North Ann Arbor is where the engineering complex is. There's North Campus and Central Campus for U of M. North Campus is where all the engineer stuff is. Um, right by North Campus, the year that I moved there, there was a massage parlor right next to the community um, water tower. The year I moved there, it got closed down as a human trafficking uh, prostitution site. Okay. Um, now, I'm going to tell you something else that makes me a little nervous, um, but it's incredibly obvious. Everything I'm telling you is in the public record. It's it's obvious, okay? It's obvious to anybody. The interchange to get into that where you'd get off on 23 to either go into Ypsilanti or Ann Arbor, going east or west. Um there is an express there is a hotel immediately off that expressway that goes along East Stadium Boulevard. Well, what becomes East Stadium Boulevard that goes directly to the big house, which is U of M's football stadium, which holds what, 215,000 people or something, right? Ridiculous. Every game day, quarter million people coming to Ann Arbor, right? Um, every graduation, mil ten, hundreds of thousands of people are coming to Ann Arbor, you know, student moving, hundreds of thousands of new people are coming to Ann Arbor, right? Hotels are at a premium. There's a hotel immediately off the expressway on the most important main drag called Washtenaw Avenue. It is uh, called Victory Inn and Suites. And it has a pool that is always covered and full of leaves and looking really trashy. The whole place looks super trashy. Hotel rooms are for like less than 45 bucks a night. Um, 
And it's a, it looks like a pretty standard large hotel. Um, if you read the reviews, people are like, I got stuck here. There's literally nowhere else to go. What is this place? There's like no turnover service. Like um, when you go into it, the main entranceway, it's like a dark hallway with the light flickering, you know? Um, and it doesn't make any sense. Ann Arbor hates blight. <laughs> Ann Arbor is, uh, you know, it is the tree city. It wants to be, it wants to look nice. And this is the first thing most people are going to see getting off the expressway. And it's been there the entire time I've been here. And if you look it up, this specific site, that they're just report after report after report of a sex worker getting abused by their pimp in the parking lot or um, sex workers getting busted or um, there's just a laundry list. Now, the guy who owns this property owns several more by the same name. And I think it's really interesting. Their insignia is a torch, right? Like a uh, torch of victory or a Prometheus, Prometheus's torch, right? It's victory ends and sweets. And they got the torch as their insignia. Now, the, he has had other hotels completely closed down. He had one in Wayne, just to the east. It's between Ypsilanti and Detroit. That got completely closed down for a while uh, because it was said you are this is just a, this is just a trafficking front. We're shutting it down until you can prove that it's not. Um, and it got shut down for a while. I think it just reopened. So he owns at least five or six of these places. Each one of them has the lawn, you know, a, a laundry list of complaints for for uh, what you would think as as sex trafficking, assume as sex trafficking. Um, and it's such an open secret. Um, it's bizarre to me. Um, no one talks about it. So I'm a little worried <laughs> talking about it. Uh, but it is just so obvious that and you a simple Google will show you all the different complaints and police actions and you know uh, with this guy and his properties. Um, and they're all along prominent expressways around Metro Detroit, right? Um, prominent areas in around Metro Detroit. Wayne, Dearborn, uh, I don't know where else he has a couple others. So that's that that tells you a little bit. Now also uh I, I belong to the community, you know, Facebook groups, which are very active here. We have a very active uh community, community social media pages. Um and uh people report getting surrounded and trying to get pushed into vehicles at the local Target, at the local Kroger. Um you hear these stories occasionally. Um uh that's pretty scary people people say my sister just got someone tried you know men tried to surround her and push her into the car but you know people intervened and you know you, you hear stories like that somewhat regularly it's pretty disturbing um and also literally about a, a mile and a half from my house by the utility plant for the city of ypsilanti someone had abandoned a u-haul truck and in the back of that truck was a five in the, in the, you know, the bay, the back back of the truck was a five-year-old girl, all dirty in just her underwear. Right. This was like two years ago. Okay. Um, 
So that's not cool. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, I shouldn't have that many personal, personal anecdotes to share. Um, that's concerning. Uh, also, you know, just going, hanging around in Arbor, I used to drive Uber and Lyft late at night all over town. And you just start to, I don't know, but I've got a pretty good idea of where there are some, some, uh, some brothels <laughs> around the town of Ann Arbor. Um, we'll get especially, to that in a second. Uh, yeah. So like reportedly like two of the worst sites for driving in Michigan along 23 or Flint and, and, uh, Ann Arbor. Um, so let's start like with like Flint. Uh, do you know much about the situation there? Just that Flint, Flint can't win, man. Flint is catching it from all sides. Um, it is tough. It's got all of the problems of a post-industrial town. It's got all the problems of being uh having a uh prominent African American community. Um it's obviously got poisoned from the you know, the water situation there is awful. Um so I mean, I don't I don't know specifically about Flint, but Flint is you know, I don't want to insult anyone from Flint, um, but, you know, the view from outside of Flint is like it's just a sacrifice zone. You know, it is just it's just it's just a sacrifice zone is what it feels like. Um, when people think about Flint, they're not thinking people are having a good time there, you know. Um, <clears throat> people people trying to get out <laughs> mostly. And when people are desperate to get out, traffickers set up. So this is interesting. So 23 in Flint connects with 75, right? And it kind of follows 75 up a ways until it branches off and follows east along the coast and 75 goes straight up the middle all the way north to, to, and meets up again in Mackinac, right? But so you got 75 that kind of parallels 23 north and south, but goes farther both directions, right? And I say 75, 7 plus 5 is 12, right? 12 is the obviously a Masonic number, um, 23, five. Um, but then you got 69, right? It all connects in Flint. You got 75, 23, 69. So you follow 69 east and you hit Port Huron. Uh, Port Huron is a very important place in American uh contemporary American politics. Are you familiar with the Port Huron Declaration? Uh, no, I'm not. Are you familiar with the Students for Democratic Society that was formed yeah, in the yeah, 1960s? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that was founded at Port Huron. Um, they that's all... Interesting. Uh, uh-huh. Yep, so they went up and that's where they formed, that's where they founded SDS, that's where they made their big anti-war statement, and that's where they wrote, you know, a big old platform for, you know, a progressive social movement, Right that has shaped politics up until the Reagan revolution, I'd say. Then there's been competing notions between, between the new left with the, the Port Huron Declaration and now the neo-reactionaries, right? Um, Was there even like the new left anymore? Like, I mean, it's well, yeah, I mean they're old professors. <laughs> there's some old professors who keep the dream alive. <laughs> they got tenure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I should say, so the bridge, I mean, colors are important, right? The bridge that crosses to Canada right there is called the Blue Water Bridge. Okay. 
Now it connects right there also with 94. 94 connects with 69 and goes and crosses over to Canada, which connects to 402. 402, I, I believe I read, is the uh, the only continuous east-west. Is it 402? 401? Maybe 401. I don't remember. But it connects with uh, the only contiguous uh, expressway system in Canada that like goes to the coast or something. Um, I got to nail that one down. Um, but I, I read, I read that. Yeah. It connects with the only expressway in Canada that, that runs the, the contiguous east-west direction. So you have this, the most important throughway in Canada that reaches down and touches here. And it connects with 23, 75, 96, and 94. 94 is super important, right? Those all kind of tie in right here, right at... Clint. Oh, wait. No, you got, you got 69 and 94. Uh, tying in and 23, right? Um, over here. That connect over to uh, to Port Huron. So then 94 runs from Port Huron down all, all along the west, the southern aspect of Michigan down into Chicago up into Madison Wisconsin through Madison all the way to Miles Montana okay 69 runs southwest I'm not sure where it terminates but it goes pretty far southwest and I think that is like the historic 69 isn't it um that was the uh, oh that was 66 right Ralph 66 yeah yeah so 69 heads heads south southwest okay and so what what now the what i immediately think is okay you've got this port you've got a port and you've got an expressway that connects to canada and connects to canada's most important expressway system and it goes through all of the oil fields and the man camps in north dakota right or, or uh you know along along the great northern great plains right it goes through all the major cities uh it goes through detroit it goes through um, kalamazoo battle creek uh it goes through near south bend indiana it goes through all of the the old steel towns along southern lake michigan gary michigan city all that through chicago up through milwaukee to many or uh, yeah, through Madison, through Minneapolis, St. Paul, right, and it passes some Devil's Lakes <laughs> along the way. I'm just seeing incidentally as I'm I'm going along, and then yeah, it goes it goes through North Dakota, go through Bismarck, go through New Salem, right. So, I mean, this is this is where it's at as far as smuggling goes. Um, and I will tell you, from crossing the border, it is way easier to get back into the united states than it is to go into canada okay when i go into canada i might get searched i might have to go sit in the office for a minute you know it's happened when i come back into the united states the guy just kind of nods at me and i hear this from everybody you know um they don't seem to care what's coming back across the border um pointedly 
<laughs> um, they do not care if you're an American coming back into America uh, is definitely the impression that they give you. Um, and now what do you got? You got 94, you know, nine plus four is 13, right? Well, that's a number, isn't it? So you got 75 equals 12. You got 94 equals 13 and you got 69. Well, 69 is already its own thing. You know, there's uh, Alistair Crowley wrote a whole chapter about it in the book of lies, right? Yeah, the correct way to uh, suck eggs or something. Yeah, yeah. How to succeed sucking eggs, right? Suck seed, suck eggs, right? That's the uh, the play on words. 69, right? Um, reciprocal oral sex, right? Um, and a magical right about it. So you have a, uh, a major connection with Canada. And you have a highway called 69. And you have accusations of human trafficking. You have another expressway that compounds to 13 and you have 23 and you have 75 all right here, all forming a big triangle between Sarnia in Canada, Flint in Michigan and Toledo in Ohio and running up the coast along Detroit, Lake Erie, St. Clair shores, et cetera, or Lake St. Clair, et cetera. Yeah. And it's <laughs> fascinating too, because I mean, I know that, um, you know, just from some of the, uh, and the donal things that I've been told about, like the Wisconsin area, that there's a lot of trafficking that goes on around Milwaukee and I mean, also Madison. So I was given a tour in Madison of three prominent brothels within a couple blocks of the Capitol building of Madison. Fascinating. Uh, by a, not in the not in the brothels. <laughs> hand on the Bible here. Um, <laughs> or hand on the Prince of Discordia, maybe. Um I, uh, my, uh, one of my best friends in college, he went to UW Madison. He studied Latin American politics there. And, you know, he just said, Hey, you want to see something weird? And I was like, okay. And he said, let's go for a walk. And we go, we go into this bar and we'd order a drink and he'd say, Hey, what's, uh, what's above this bar? And everyone in the bar would be like, it's a brothel. This is a brothel. This is the bar below the brothel and say, Okay. We drink that drink and then we go and we'd walk a couple more blocks. We'd go, we'd get a drink. He'd start just start asking people in the bar, hey, what's what's above? Do you know what's above this this bar? And they're like, yeah, it's a brothel. Yeah. Uh I had a pimp tell me <laughs> that he was the great grandnephew of the voodoo queen of New Orleans and that he really liked my jacket. And uh, you know, he he wanted to be my best friend. Uh <laughs> My other friends got my friends got weirded out and dragged me out of there. Uh, I, I was I thought it was a great time personally, <laughs> but yeah, Madison's uh, it's uh, Madison's a place. I personally love Madison because of the I mean the layout of the city is interesting. Um, the lakes it's, it's something special. The ge geology they have there, the geography, um, and the way they've laid out the city uh, is pretty special. But also there's definitely some obvious darkness and there's a really vibrant energy to it it's uh it's very uh i don't know i don't want to say dionysian i don't know but it's it's there's a festive nature um a kind of euphoria almost i feel when i'm there that seems like in the air i don't know um it's an interesting place though for sure i've had some strange <laughs> some strange times visiting there
Well, yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's kind of like the epicenter for a lot of the strange stuff that's branched out like across the southern part of the state because the mm -hmm. founders of like Dreamtime Village were yeah. based out of the University of Madison, was uh, University of Wisconsin at Madison. Um, as were the founders of Circle Sanctuary. I think, uh, at a minimum, they lived in Madison, and I believe that was a uh, Circle was founded. And then also Alex Jordan, uh, the creator of House on the Rock, mm -hmm. uh, he lived actually in the Madison area for most of his life. So, yeah, there was a, a lot of interesting stuff like that with the, the town, uh, kind of that long-standing history. And I mean, then obviously Frank Lloyd Wright was there pretty briefly. Mm -hmm. uh, just... I, I told you about that hotel he built near me, right? Where I grew up anyway, on, in West Michigan, Southwest Michigan. Uh, no, no, you didn't. I don't think so. He built, it was called the Snowflake Hotel. Um, It got demolished, I don't know, in the 2000s sometime. Uh, but it's a, it's a strange one. It's worth uh, giving it a Google Um. For sure, especially given the area. Yeah, no, absolutely. <clears throat> well, um, okay, so how about uh, Ann Arbor and trafficking there? I mean, I hear you can get some great Thai food in there, oh. especially deep in this kind of thing. Okay, so that the place off 23 that I was telling Victory Inn, okay, off 23 in Washtenaw, um, there happens to be a really great Thai restaurant uh, that seems legit. Uh, I hope it's legit. The rest of the building is definitely not legit. I'm going to assume it's legit, <laughs> but uh, they have good customer service and their food is good. Um, and I, I, I hope they're not involved with whatever the owner of that place has run in. Um, but it's definitely because you go into that. It's, you know, it's the restaurant attached to the hotel, right? It's in the building. And it's a nice restaurant. It's beautiful. There's ornate carvings of uh, uh from Thailand. You know, it's awesome. the The staff is great. Um, the food's pretty good, and everything's on the up and up. And you say, "Hmm, I want to check out this hotel, though." And you walk through the main doors to go try to find the front desk, and you're suddenly in like train spotting, or you know, uh, uh, requiem for a dream, or something. You know, <laughs> what it feels like. You're like, "Wait a second, what?" What's going on here? Um, I feel like if people weren't as loyal to that Thai restaurant, maybe this hotel would have been called out sooner. <laughs> Honestly, um, I don't know. But yeah, that, so that's that's about as far as my personal experience goes, um, my personal anecdotes with what I've observed and seen. And I, you know, I've had friends who, who are truckers and who've driven taxi cab in Ann Arbor and working at the food co-op you know there is some super dark stuff when i was driving uh delivery you know i i'm pretty sure i delivered to the mansions that hold the eyes wide shut parties you know there's no reason to have that many aphrodite statues eating grapes and pan flute playing nymphs and there's no reason for that with <laughs> with, with a gate and two giant rottweilers and uh you know, uh, no, I, I, uh, you know, delivery drivers know your secrets, right? And the garbage man knows even more. So take care of them, you know, tip them, tip them on Christmas and whatnot. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what. So this is interesting. Uh, I've delivered on, and one day in Ann Arbor, I delivered to Joseph Salk, uh, Joseph, uh, yeah, Salk's old house, the, 
you know, the vaccine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Polio yeah. vaccine. I delivered to the uh, house yeah, that he stayed in. Too. That one, the Barbara Hart's, uh, who worked with Barbara Hart, Marks Hubbard, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember you talking about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I delivered to his his old house just outside of Ann Arbor, and I delivered to these mansions that, like I said, like, this so is... So he had a residency <laughs> then in Ann Arbor for a he while. He did. Yes, he did. Um, and it was on West Delhi Road, I believe. Um in Dexter or Ann Arbor right next to Dexter. Um and Delhi Road. That's I mean that rings a cult to me. Um and the mansions that are dubious. Um there are just too many red flags. They're also off off a section of Delhi. Um a lot of money just west of Ann Arbor. A lot of money and a lot of people who like their privacy. All along the lake, Lake Huron. Or not Lake Huron, uh, uh, Huron River. The Huron River. All right, should we get to the juicy bits? Oh, would you want to uh, you want to do a little bit of informed speculation here on whether the uh, traffic unfolding on 23 Michigan is related to similar activities in Ohio? Oh, I mean, I would just have to assume. I would have to assume. Um, I don't know a specific connection, right? But, I mean, logistics our logistics, right? Business is business. Like you got to communicate. <laughs> you got to know who your competitors are. You got to know who your suppliers are. I mean, I would just assume well, that there's communication. The, you know, the kind of Epstein connection, like you were saying, is is that one school you were telling me about in Michigan, was that off of 23 or no? No, the the yeah. band, the yeah, interlocking. Yeah. No, that that's not. That is, but it is up north. And once you get up north, Towards the tip of the peninsula, everything and distances kind of get collapsed, partially because it's rural, so people just don't take distance into as much consideration. Um, but also everything, you know, the stake starts to narrow. Uh, but that's actually closer to Traverse City. It's it's uh um it is it's just south of Traverse City. Okay. <clears throat> you uh you got anything else on this topic for us? Uh, I think I think we can be done with that. All right. Uh, then, uh, do you want to get into some of the strange numerology, more so than you already have, and some of the possible number magic play on some of these? All right. So when twenty three crosses into Toledo, it briefly becomes two two three, which I believe has some significance. Obviously, it's a caliber, right? Caliber of a, a firearm, isn't it? Two two three. Also, I think the skull and bones thing. Is, this, like is it two? two I yeah, mean, it's like three, two, two, and then you're saying two, two, three, right? Yep, yep. Um, so you got that. Um, now ninety four. So ninety four was originally a road, U.S. ninety four way back in the day, like eighteen twenties, was actually an east west route in Florida. <clears throat> So you had 94 that ran east-west in Florida, and then they moved it up here. And now it runs east-west in the peninsula to the north, right? I think that's interesting. Um, you have uh, you have US-12. So what I didn't talk about is all of these expressways follow clearly defined historic Native American trails. 23 follows, uh, I think they called it the Great Trail. I can't remember. Um, and 94 follows the Salk Trail. Um, 
which then became they have a uh yeah like uh, us 12 or michigan 12 is the the main uh non-expressway route and that used to run what they call the salt trail that was the detroit to chicago route <clears throat> it used to be 112 like the fibonacci sequence um now it is one two or they also call it territorial um and it was the first first through road so you have you just have 12s 13s um 23s and fives all over the place on on the roads around here um also it used to be originally okay so 94 used to be in florida US 12, which runs parallel to 94, used to be called M23. So you have an east-west running M23. You had an east-west running uh, US 94 in Florida. Now that moved up to Michigan. M23 became uh, 112. 112 eventually becomes 12, except between Detroit and Ypsilanti. And I think that's really interesting because this change remained in the post-war World War II era. And I think this era, the, the World War II, post-World War II era is where 23 and the military connection are very strong. Because you had, Detroit was an arsenal of democracy, right? You had everyone coming up from Latin, not Latin, from uh, Appalachia coming up the expressway. Uh, I live in a part of Ypsilanti. I didn't realize this. When I lived here, People used to call people in Ann Arbor, you know, they'd say like derogatorily, like, oh, Ipsy Tucky, right? They call it Ipsy Tucky instead of Ypsilanti, saying, you know, those poor, poor hillbillies, you know, it was a derogatory thing. It was classist, you know, there's some venom to it, right? And I was like, well, that's weird, you know, fuck these elitists, right? And then I moved to Ips, well, I moved to where I am in Ipsy now. And where I live in Ipsy now is Ipsy Tucky. Everyone, all of my neighbors are homesteaders. Who moved up families moved up here in the 30s 40s 50s to work in the factories um they're all they're all from appalachia they're all from kentucky tennessee virginia from west virginia lots of folks from west virginia um and and it is it's a tucky and it's not a derogatory thing it just literally is <laughs> it's it's like chinatown right um and uh and it's right next to willow run um and then you have the association with, you know, from earlier that we talked about Spanish-American War and uh, all the wars of imperialism from that era all being commemorated through this expressway. Um, you have a huge concentration of mounts, right, around Detroit and along the east, the east of Michigan, all the ancestral rice beds all along there. And you can just see how 23 is, is a celebration of military hegemony um, domestically and internationally with, with the... The war effort there. So the fact that they continued the designation of 112 between Detroit and Ipsy until I think what the 1950s or something. I think that might have become Ecorse Road, which is now the northern boundary for the Willow Run Airport, which is still there. It just doesn't have the military. Um, but for a long time, they actually housed the Enola Gay there. 
So the bomb that dropped, uh, the plane that dropped the A bomb was actually housed at Willow Run, and they still bring it out. They still bring it to Willow Run um, for big events, and they they have an old flying fortress that they they bring out too that was wasn't didn't drop the bomb, but you know, could have it could have, <laughs> um, and it flies right over my house uh, every July and right over my house. I mean, I can see the Blue Angels. The patches on their jackets, you know, um, scared my scares my animals to death. Um, <clears throat> so I think you got uh, uh, where where were we at? I'm sorry. Let me re regroup. Oh, we were just uh, basically on the number magic around US oh, okay. and the other highways. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add on that? Um, well, let's see. You got you got seventy five, and you got two seventy five. You got ninety four, uh, ninety six, um, sixty nine, um, twenty three, two two three. Um, there's just there's just a lot, and when you look at the history and the parallels. Um, I just thought it was interesting. Uh, I am not going to do a whole you know magical breakdown on it, other than just observing what I think are some interesting relationships there. And then we see how it frames the area too, and it interacts with the uh, the geography. I think it's all pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to get back to Mackinac uh, Mackinac Island here uh, for a second, um, <laughs> which also is sort of interesting here. Obviously, we were sort of talking about how that was like uh, right off of Mackinac, which is the last city off of US Route Twenty Three. So. One of the real curious spot things about Mackinac Island is it had a history, a bit of piracy and what have you um, back in the day, uh, but eventually it was seriously challenged in these endeavors by a uh, breakaway sect of Mormons that had uh, settled on nearby Beaver <laughs> Island. Oh, yeah. That were uh, led by a fellow named James Strag, Strang, uh, who had originally set up his sect in Wisconsin, uh, I believe like around the Milwaukee area or something like that. Um, but I could be mistaken now off the top, I'm not recalling off the top of my head. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, there was a lot of conflict essentially between these two islands effectively um and was it lake haran here in um you know the great lakes region in the middle mm -hmm. of the 19th century and uh it did not wind well for strang and his followers <laughs> uh strang uh eventually the u.s he had tried to declare i think his sovereignty if i'm not mistaken from the uh, yeah yep i think that's right and um the u.s navy had been dispatched eventually to bring them to heal uh he had strang i should point out had been a um it was it a senator or a representative it was a michigan house of representatives that he was in and uh, there had been some speculation that he might even get a, uh, you know, he might even be sent to uh, D.C. to serve in huh. some capacity in one of the presidential administrations. At one point, uh, he was kind of seen as a rising politician. Well, see, it went into the whole thing with, uh, you know, the line of succession and um, the Mormon church after Joseph Smith was killed. At this point in time, you know, around like uh, 1850 or so, um, what's his name? Brigham Young was still being challenged somewhat. And Strang had actually made like a pretty good effort, uh, you know, pretty good showing to try to uh, dislodge Brigham Young. Uh, 
initially, like in the early days after Joseph Smith had died, there was actually a little bit of uncertainty about it. Um, but anyway, there had been some thinking in D.C. that um, Strang might be a little bit more amicable and uh, possibly if they could somehow engineer a situation mm. where Young uh, fell out of favor and Strang replaced him as the head of the, uh, you know, the mainline Mormon church, it would be... Uh, advantageous to the u.s government but hmm. uh he did eventually prove to be a little too unstable for that <laughs> and also you know you had the whole issue with him involving treason and counterfeiting and trespassing bizarrely too i will point out <laughs> there's a lot of weird synchronicities about this whole story but one of the big things that they were involved in was horse thievery which was a big thing in uh, the 19th century i mean it was like stealing somebody's car or something like that but one of the rings that he had uh, was actually operating in Ohio. Um, and they brought the, the horses that were stolen like up to Beaver Island where they would later be like, <laughs> sold. So. Yeah, I remember hearing horse, 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 thieves, horse thieves on an island. That's not what you imagine, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's just really weird. You sort of have like that, you know, bizarre connection there with already this sort of like trafficking milieu between like Ohio and like this kind of uh, region here, you know, I mean, not yeah. from McIntyre uh, Island and whatnot, but yeah, eventually, um, you know, there was a lot of outrage generated against Strang and a, uh, the Navy was sent there to apprehend him. He was shot. Uh, and then after he died, a mob from uh, McIntyre Island basically going out Um to the um beaver island and forcibly evicted his followers about like two thousand mm. of them or something like that so um yeah there were a lot of intrigues at mackintack island involving um you know this whole thing with strang and what have you and you know just another bizarre thing about this that i would point out you know we sort of got into some of the discordian connections and all this obviously us route 23 ends in uh, nearby mackintosh city uh the last you know major city before uh you get to the uh you know, the lake basically where you've got to then go out um you know to the uh mackintosh island there's like a bridge in fact i think that connects them or something like that but um Anyway, a, ferry, a ferry to the island. There's yeah, a bridge that connects north and south the the peninsulas. Yeah, 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 you're right. Okay. But anyway, like, the point being, though, it's bizarre because okay, you have the whole thing with 23 there, and then you have the name Strang here. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, this is, um, you know, also similar to the uh, the name taken up by the head of the church, the subgenius Ivan Strang. Oh, interesting. So, you know, that, I mean, obviously the church of the subgenius is sort of like an offshoot of discordianism, but it's yep. also interesting because, I mean, there is a certain amount of mockery to Definitely. Mormonism in um discordianism to begin with i mean you know you have to kind of remember that carrie thornley was actually brought up in a mormon household mm -hmm. so kind of from the beginning there was a little bit of like spoof going on with mormonism in there and then later i just i don't think it's a coincidence that um you know when the founder of the church of the subgenius was looking for kind of a discordian handle uh to take up 
he you know happened on the last name strang i definitely think uh it was probably a play that's pretty clever particular figure <laughs> and also you know i mean the fact that it was kind of a breakaway sect from discordianism and discordianism is almost and so i mean it's a parody of a lot of things but i mean specifically yeah. there is a lot of parody of mormonism in it so mm-hmm. it's very interesting and then of course all of this ends up later getting us 23 right there next to mm-hmm. the area where you know the melodrama was strang played out um it's just you know again another really weird synchronicity you a little strange if you will huh Mm, absolutely (laughs) i should add on on a wordplay the uh the road that runs forms one of the borders to willow run airport is wired road weird road uh, w-i-a-r-d and that's right near 23 as well (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, it's closer to 94, but they're all so close right there. <clears throat> and uh, did you want to get into um, the what is it? This uh, St. Martin's Island or something like that? Oh, yeah, that's this is to me. This is this was the big Easter egg at the end of my research that really got me excited. Um, I think I found a mystery, you know, uh, real quick, though. I do want to point out I just checked uh, I-69 runs from Port Huron and is supposed to run all the way to Corpus Christi. Texas, all along the Gulf Coast, and it can is part of the NAFTA super highway chain. Oh, so how's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, that just screams out okay. like trafficking massively. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. So I mean, that's all I need. That's all I need to know on that front. All right. So on the on the order of the high strangeness. So we got. So. I was just, you know, I was looking. Uh, so we didn't talk about it, but there's this organization that's based in Midland, Michigan, that 23 runs uh, right next to. Um, it's kind of be, uh, towards Flint. Um, Midland, Michigan uh, has an independent think tank called the Mackinac Center for Public Policy. And they have their conferences up on Mackinac Island. Um, the The president of that organization is on the uh what the atlas atlas leadership of ceos i forget the the exact title uh atlas leadership ceo leadership council something like that about like atlas as an atlas shrugged right um ain rand um so when you look at who was all on that leadership council with him it's all of the big names of the neoconservative um Mackinac Center is is one of the first and wealth most well funded independent quote unquote think tanks in the country, and it is mostly funded and staffed by Dow Chemical executives. Okay, so you got that. It's right next to Flint. Now on the other side of Flint, if anyone has been uh, doing research and is into the whole Greenfield, Alan Greenfield, um, Hellier phenomenon maybe they've come across um this phenomenon this new kind of spiritual movement called free illuminism the free illuminist movement um that greenfield somewhat promotes um well i've been following their stuff just because i'm curious um and this person who is running the page that greenfield and others of his compatriots are associated with um well, she posted a list of lodges affiliated with the Free Illuminist movement. Now, just off the top of my head, what I understand of Free Illuminism is that it is supposed to be 
kind of anti-authoritarian approach to some of these, you know, philosophies that have historically been more, you know, um, hierarchical, authoritarian, et cetera, right? Um, but what you find listed seem to be fairly standard Masonic, Martinist, et cetera, type of organizations. Maybe they're maybe they're more open than they used to be. I don't know about traditional. I I don't know anything uh, from the inside of these order, orders, you know. Um, but there was one listed. I wanted to see well who's in Michigan, right? So there's three in Michigan. One of them's in the UP, so that one's out. Uh, I can't find out anything about that one. Uh, I forget where the other one is. Um, but then the closest one to me was a place called what North Branch which is just um, east of Flint, a short drive further into the thumb. And there's an order called, yeah, St. John of Asia, the Knights of St. John of Asia in Europe. Um, and so I, I, when, as soon as I saw a St. John of Asia in Europe, I was like, oh, I got to, got to touch base with Stevenson with recluse here. Um, yeah, no, that is bizarre. I mean, a lot of people probably know, listen to me for a while. I'm really <clears throat> fascinated by a lot of these different orders of St. John. Uh, they really started to proliferate in the United States during the 1950s. Um, you know, the original one was kind of the one based out of um, Shikshini, Pennsylvania. It, like many of its successor organizations, claimed lineage from the Russian line of succession from the medieval Knights Hospitaller, who, you know, now at least officially became the sovereign or military order of Malta uh, after they lost their island stronghold in Malta around the uh, early 19th century. Um, I had actually started, thought a lot of this was totally frivolous for years until I started exploring the Society of Cincinnati and saw that there were which um, I should point out, I mean, this was basically an American shipwreck order that was set up by a lot of military officers that had served in the Revolutionary um, or the Continental Army, rather, uh, during the Revolutionary War under George Washington, and then Washington himself was the longtime president of this society. Uh, but anyway, they had actually discussed a uh, an actual alliance with the, you know, the OG Knights of Malta back in the day. Mm -hmm. We can get into a lot more in the subscribers section. Um, but yeah, it's uh, a bizarre history and it does leave the possibility that there might be more to this. But uh, in recent years, a lot of these orders of St. John have... Um, become involved in a lot of domestic terrorism, a lot of uh, far-right activity. And I mean, as recently as the late 1980s, early 90s, they were implicated in the uh, FBI's PACCON investigation, um, which was looking into the Civilian Material Assistance Group, which was involved in supplying arms for Iran-Contra, uh, one of the you know variations of the Order of St. John came up in it. So, you know, it's really interesting that you see one here, and I wasn't, yeah, even aware that it had these links to the Free Illuminist movement. That's even more interesting. All right. So here, the, the high weirdness takes off, right? So uh, the Mackinac Center, and I'm not saying there's any connection between the Mackinac Center and the Knights of St. John, but... Um, 
in a lot of their literature, they talk about true north, right? They want their politics to be true north. They they use true north as, you know, how they qualify good values, right? That's that's the rhetoric they use, right? So, and I think that's really interesting, 23 running north-south, right? You have the poles of Florida and Michigan. Well, okay, so let's, let's look true north, true north. Okay, so... Uh, just south of Mackinac City, you have Lake Paradise. Go north, you have Mackinac City. You go straight north from that. You have that that Native American place I told you about, the uh, Rabbit Rabbitback Ridge, I think is what it's called now, and then Castle Rock. Those are all direct in line. Okay, so now you go to Mackinac Island. You go direct south. Directly south from Mackinac Island is a township called Freedom. Freedom, and the road next to it is called Hebron. Hebron Mail Trail. Okay, it's just a tiny little, you know, probably just a few resort houses or something. So directly north of Freedom, you have Mackinac Island. Directly north of Mackinac Island, you have Big St. Martin Island, St. Martin Island, Little St. Martin Island, St. Martin Point, and St. Martin Bay. Now, my dad's an avid sailor. And he he spends the summer since he's retired on a small sailboat trying to get from southwest Michigan all the way up into Canada, as far into Canada he can, right, on a sailboat before he has to turn around, okay? So he spent some time up here. And I asked my mom, I was like, do you guys do you guys know anything about St. Martin, the St. Martin Islands? And she says, no, I don't think we've ever gone up that way. I'm like, you spent all this time sailing just for fun and you've never gone up? To, to this area that's right here, right? And they said, no, I think it's all private or something. I don't know. I uh, And I say, okay, so let me start doing some research. So Big St. Martin Island is a total question mark. Um, you look on Google Maps, there's definitely a house and some outbuildings and some two tracks that go around it. Um, the township that is credited with it being in does not claim it on its own website. The county that it's credited to being in does not claim it on its own website and does not have any records of it and isn't even in the right part of the peninsula to make sense <laughs> for it to be its jurisdiction. I have no idea. Um, yeah, we should, anything should point about out right quick, too. It's really interesting in that whole area because it's uh, Mackinac Island is like what, like essentially right across from Green Bay and Wisconsin, right? So that's also why there's sort of like that kind of historic connection with Wisconsin. It's part of the archipelago that is the Green Bay, that forms Green Bay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's, yeah, kind of always been that historical connection there with Wisconsin as well. And so Wisconsin actually owns a lot of these islands. Wisconsin claims some of these islands, uh, so, like like some of these islands that you definitely think would be Michigan are actually Wisconsin, which is interesting. And I wonder if that's part of the compromise when Michigan was given the upper peninsula, if they gave Wisconsin disproportionate control of the seaways to offset Michigan getting the resource. That's just pure speculation. But me finding out that a lot of these islands are actually owned by Wisconsin is strange. Um, not, not the ones in question that we're talking about. Those are Michigan, but it's it's only a few miles away that you start to get some that are claimed by Wisconsin. At least that's what I was reading. Um, but so what, so 
I couldn't find anything about I Big St. Martin's. Back to the day, that was the one the, like the loophole Strang was trying to, you know, use with Beaver Island because there was like that dispute, I think, you were mm. saying, between like Michigan and Wisconsin over like the territory. So it was, there were always those sort of schemes where you could just find an island there while Wisconsin and Michigan were sort of disputing that and be like, ah, it's, it's a sovereign state, you know? Yep. <laughs> yep. I did have more luck with regular uh, uh, St. Martin Island that was actually bought by the Luber family of Milwaukee, who was a steel magnate who owned Super Steel. And he bought the island in the 80s with a goal of turning it into a resort community. Now, the official word is that they decided it was too hard to build a resort there. And so they didn't do anything with it. Um, but the article that documents the transaction went because uh, it was sold from the Luber family in 2016, um, the 2015, right before his death, it was sold to the, uh, yep. The, the wildlife reserve that is surrounds the Bay there and partially given to the, uh, an Ojibwe, uh, people given back. Um, but only a small percentage of it. Most of it was given to the the nature preserve. Um, now, what I did find about Big St. Martin's is there is, on a, a GIS um, survey, there was listed a Native American burial ground. But there actually are a lot of Native American burial grounds on a lot of these islands. And some of the islands are even called like Death's Passage and like stuff like that, you know, like pretty explicit now, St. John's Island or St. Martin's Island is really interesting. Regular St. Martin's, because remember, there's three. There's three of them. There's a point and there's a bay. Someone really loves St. Martin's. Um, and you, we can talk about Martinism um, and who St. Martin was and what St. Martin means now. And this historic, the original St. Martin and the occult, um, the guy who founded Martinism. Um, I can't talk about too much, but <laughs> I know. Uh, so, Regular St. Martin's, they said they didn't develop it, but in the article where they talked about selling it, they said that they did actually build a series of cabins throughout the island. So it was never used officially as a resort, and it, and most of the stuff, they deny that they ever developed it, but at the end, they say, oh, yes, we actually did put cabins up around the island. So that's interesting. What was it actually? Um, then Little St. Martin's is just a little swamp thing. I don't think it's that mentionable. Um, but I just, I think when we talk about true North, what is this mysterious North? Uh, well, what is, what is, what does St. Martin mean? St. Martin was the patron saint of the soldier, right? Um, and uh, you have Highway 23 de dedicated to the hiker, the, the poor soldier. Um, St. Martin is the, the saint of the poor of the soldier and of tailors and winemakers, right? Um, so I really wonder the patron saint of wine and soldiers, uh, I wonder what kind of parties they might throw <laughs> on an island that is incredibly private. Um, it would be incredibly hard to get to these islands. Um, now, one other interesting thing, searching it, there is a horror movie made in 1982 called humongous that is set on the island 
The St. Um, Martin's Island? The St. Martin Island. Regular St. Martin Island. Yep. In the story, it's a standard 80s slasher, right? Um, These guys are going, they're taking their girlfriends out for vacation up in the, you know, up on an island. And they rescue some shipwrecked fishermen. uh, And then they shipwreck themselves and... They end. The guy tells him, "Don't go to this island. We call it the Island of Dogs because there's some crazy heiress, you know, some heiress of like I don't, yeah, I guess I can't remember if they said it was lumber or mining, right? Which it was owned by a miner, right? Well, not a miner, but steel man, right? Uh, so this crazy heiress who is who experienced some trauma in her youth and was saved by her dogs now keeps a pack of like incredibly aggressive dogs to protect her privacy on this island, right?" And so they shipwreck and they end up on this island. And the whole setup is that she had a son and she raised the son to believe that the entire world is terrifying and scary. And that just to stay on this island, everything else is a threat and these dogs will protect us. Right. And then she eventually dies. And it's kind of like the Hitchcock, you know, narrative. He goes crazy um, and he's like some big deranged mutant. Right. And he kills most of the teenagers right on the island. It's kind of like a abatement, like the hotel, which one? Psycho. Psycho, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of similar to Psycho. Um, except she's some, yeah, heiress who is sealing herself off from the world with her aggressive it's also dogs. Like association with like um dogs too. They can mm-hmm. be or something like that. Yeah, so I'm definitely gonna have to watch that <laughs> watch that movie yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, well, it's really interesting. And then, like you're saying, too, with the, you know, associations with Martinism and so forth. I mean, of course, there was uh, Count St. Martin uh, from France, who was uh, mm-hmm. kind of seen as one of the founders. Of course, he had done the, you know, whole thing with the regular Freemasonry and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, this kind of like led actually to the uh, the rise of the Egyptian rite and then later the rite of Martin and Mithrium. Was it a uh, Memphis and Mithrium or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um which incidentally seems to be one of the ones that the free illuminist movement is really big into. Um, uh, interestingly, too, it also kind of claims some lineage from Cagliostro and uh, his huh. right. And uh, Cagliostro actually had also in turn claimed to have been trained initially uh, by one of the uh, final grandmasters of the um, uh, the Knights of Malta before they lost the island of Malta. Huh. Uh, Pinto, I believe, was the grandmaster specifically. But um, so yeah, it was interesting with that. But anyway, all that kind of like got uh, combined into the original stew of Martinism. This would have been like around the late 17th, early 18th century, and then it just kind of disappears uh, until the late 19th century when the whole system is revived by Pappas. And um, you know how much of a connection yeah. it actually had. To the original one is uh debatable obviously um you know it was interesting but pappas didn't really seem to have been that much into full-blown ceremonial magic i mean he did a lot with like the tarot and uh, there was a lot of you know the kind of angel magic theology and that kind of thing uh but less so with the sort of like crowley and golden dawn uh type of stuff which you could kind of associate more with this type of thing so who knows but um certainly though there did end up becoming a lot more uh ties with some reactionary sex and all of this of course uh renee uh Dion, is that the name of the guy yeah yeah traditionalism yep um he had been a member of one of pap and the pappas uh martin actually i think he actually had been a member of the martinus lodge for a time that pappas had set up before he Wait, had uh, does the name paquin mean something to you paquin 
Did you mention uh, that name? No, how's it spelled? Okay. P A Q U I. I thought maybe you had mentioned that in your your uh, explanation. No, no, I there. didn't believe so. Okay, I imagine I just saw a lake named that on St. Martin Point, and I was like, oh, I thought you just mentioned that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, so I mean, yeah, there was the whole thing with like Martinism. I mean, obviously, it's a big occult. Uh, I mean, and in the United States, it never really caught on as much, uh, you know, because of a lot of our lineage coming from uh, the UK, which in turn has usually been much more centered around the Golden Dawn and so forth. And uh, obviously, the system that Crowley developed out of that and so on. Um, whereas uh, Martinism was much bigger in. Um, you know continental europe especially in france um it had originally kind of grown out of the what was it the capitalistic order of the rose cross or something mm -hmm. like that which a lot of the major uh occult celebrities in paris in the late 19th century had belonged to and um i guess briefly there had been a bit of a courtship with the golden dawn when was it McMurthy or somebody like that? No, no, not McMurthy. Gosh, that was later. Um, I can't recall off the top of my head, but one of the figures had ended up with the Golden Dawn in Paris for a time, uh, trying to pitch some of the big guys like Pappas and what have you there, but it just uh, it didn't really work out. Like I said, they were... Um, I, I mean, fundamentally, you know, Pappas kind of considered his system to be, I mean, almost a bit of like Christian mysticism or mm. something like that, which... Um, you know, I've had some people uh, theorize to me that, you know, some of this might have been adopted later on into the uh, new apostolic reformation. And some of the churches like linked to that with some of the symbolism that they had seen. Interesting. I've, I've been close to some people associated with that in my life. And it's, you know, and I mean, again, it's interesting because Rick Joyner, I mean, he was a big figure in all of that. I mean, is also a member of another one of these orders of St. John. So, I mean, it's... It is kind of fascinating how incestuous a lot of this stuff turns out to be. And I should put out Michael Bertrio, uh, Bertrio um, was actually also one of the bishops who had ordained um, Greenfield, hmm. uh, was also uh, involved with various Martinus orders over the years. And he actually got one of his consecrations too from a member of the order, from one of the orders of the Sovereign Order of St. John. Hmm. So, yeah. The whole thing is just really insane. So there, there's a lot of that uh, kind of playing out with the Martin thing and the orders of St. John. There's always been this sort of weird overlap with some of the stuff and these occult orders uh, going back for a while now. Yeah. Yeah. And the free Illuminist uh, stuff I've been getting, some of the lodges are doing, they're doing Martinist ceremonies immediately after doing their more crowley or masonic inspired things they said we did this ritual and then we closed it and then we did the martinist initiation after yeah, that it kind of makes sense because i mean yeah i mean to the you know i mean a lot of the martinists i think were sort of reluctant to merge with the golden dawn because they saw especially later with some of the crowley and stuff kind of more black magic or mm -hmm. if you will or left-hand path type of approach which um, i think the order in michigan <laughs> claims they are in the crowley path Based yeah. on the lineage map I saw. Did, did, you, did you get the chance to look over that? No. I, well, I did. I did. But it was pretty crazy, though. Isn't I mean, it? <laughs> yeah, it's sprawling. Trying to, like, make sense of all of it. But, yeah, 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 yeah it is interesting, though. Um, but, yeah, yeah, no, they did claim some lineage with Alistair Crowley and some of the other, I think, the OTO and some of the other ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah the Golden Dawn. Yeah. They just said Brother A, but I'm assuming Brother A, and it's yeah, linked it to, probably, well, the acronym yeah. GD, Golden Dawn. Yeah, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. 
So one last observation, and then I got to sign off because I got to go help my family. Um, but St. Martin's Point uh, has the most, you can, there's a road that goes down it. It has the most expensive Airbnbs in the area, for sure. If you want to stay in St. Martin's Point, you can, but it's going to cost you. And then uh, the other observation is there's a shoal between it and the first, uh, the main island, well, uh, St. Martin Island. And that shoal is called Dunkirk Shoal. And uh, I think that's interesting given yeah, the, the Scottish. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that was also big with World War II. Yeah. Uh, where they uh, had to evacuate the uh, British troops or something like that at Dunkirk. Yep, yep. Yep. So I just thought, you know, I'd make that observation. Do you have any other left? last minute questions for me before i gotta take off no i don't think so i mean you know it's uh definitely been an interesting chat that's for sure and i mean of course you know kind of going back with all the you know order of st john stuff obviously 23 um you know or june 23rd is uh st john's uh eve so that's kind of the other you know weird connection with this and the three and the order of st john the martin stuff as well and mm. so what? Yeah, yeah. A... Isn't November 11th is the feast day, isn't it? 11 11 is St. Martin's feast day, is it? Yeah, oh, that would just be too much. Yep, it is. I'm almost positive. It would be, yeah, that would be about part of the course, man. Yep, yep, I think that's what it is. And I, I also say, on uh, one of the first things that got me curious was I was looking at St. Martin's Island on Google Maps early on when I was doing research, and I, you know, I was just doing a scan. I'm like, I'm just gonna look for any interesting geometry, you know, anything that stands out. And immediately there's this clearing that is in the shape of a triangle. Hmm. And when I zoom in, it looks like a swamp. Uh, it just yeah. looks like a swampy lake, but it is very clearly looks like a triangle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is interesting. And so and that caught me. And then I zoomed in and then I saw that there's actually a dock that I wouldn't have seen if I didn't zoom in to look. There's a, a nice dock that you could dock a fairly large boat onto. Now the dock for Big Island is actually super nice. Is a huge dock. Um, and so for that to have no information at all is really interesting. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I was asking my dad because he has law, you know, they have resources for boaters, you know, safe anchorages and everything and all the information about all the islands. And I was telling him, he's like, well, you know, who has the power to do that, right? And I said, mm, I don't know. And he said, it starts with the initials D-O-D. I was like, hmm, that is true. They do have that power. But then I started telling him more about the St. Martin angle. And he said, well, those people would have that power too, probably. <laughs> probably the same people. But interesting, big St. Martin Island, the county that it's credited to is called Delta County. Hmm, interesting. But Delta County is on the opposite side of that small peninsula there on the upper peninsula, the St. Ignace Peninsula. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, and it doesn't show up as being, you know, they don't claim it on their own webpage, but it's listed there, I think, on Wikipedia or some other standard public. Yeah, no, just it's fascinating that they have those islands, like you said, with the, you know, one, uh, was it the Puber family or whatever that owned it, or um, Steel family? Luber. Luber, Luber. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is interesting, because, I mean, again, Milwaukee's got a lot of... um potentially really interesting stuff in the traffic milieu going on so yeah yep. businessman and this isolated island there is really yeah and then to, to wrap it all in with the hiker and the whole kind of mystique of american fascism and manifest destiny and the role of the rugged worker luber 
the Anglo-Saxon means laborer. And he owned a steel company, you know. Um, um, he, well, so, I, I'm glad you brought up the hiker too. Another interesting thing I had actually noticed about that is it seems like a lot of the um, cities that the hiker appears in, like you're saying, like in New York State and you know what have you. I mean, almost all are um, on or along the 42nd parallel. I've done mm. a couple of shows on that and uh, some stuff in the subscriber section, but that's kind of considered to be the so-called psychic. 42nd highway, parallel. Thing. 42nd, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, uh, I'm on the 42nd parallel. Oh, yeah. Right wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've lived on the 42nd parallel my whole life. <laughs> no, enough. I mean, yeah, because I mean, you know, sort of beginning with, you know, this is, you know, Boston and, uh, you know, Salem are off of it. So yeah. I mean, kind of all this stuff with um, Mary Mott, Thomas Morton, and then it cuts through the whole, you know, upstate New York area with Buffalo, the whole burned over district where, I mean, a lot of the second great awakening kind of woo woo religions originated from. It goes through Chicago, which, I mean, for years was another big, you know, new age mecca. This is uh, kind of why I got the reputation for the psychic highway, you know, thing. I mean, really, from sort of the beginning of the country um, up until like the late 19th, early 20th century, there was sort of this, you know, progression of all these uh, kind of fringe spiritual movements. Oh, yeah. Uh, House of David near where I grew up on Lake Michigan is one yeah i think historical example like right off of it too i mean that's especially with like some of the african-american kind of like fringe movements that was like mm. too yeah that makes sense and same thing with you know chicago with the moorish temple and a lot of that stuff so it's been a it's really fascinating with the 42nd and you know some of the areas on and along it i mean there's a lot of weird religion there's uh two new nuclear it. power plants in west michigan one just north and one just south <laughs> like michigan so it's kind of fascinating then that you see the hiker appearing like almost all across that region with the 42nd parallel too. And mostly after, during and after World War II. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. It's like he's kind of like marching along the psychic highway. Mm -hmm. There's some, I guess, very potent symbolism. Then the last ones I posted were to the West. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The ones they, the, the very last series they did they put to the west yeah that's what i was like kind of looking at it seemed like they kind of built them up more and more to the west as they went along so yeah mm -hmm. it's, it's it, like that it's just really fascinating with all that stuff. it's pretty explicit but, oh and what really interesting is uh the one in ipsy is uh on domino's pizza um <clears throat> there's a small domino store domino's pizza started in ypsilanti oh, i actually really? worked in the chinese restaurant that was a the original diet I did delivery for a Chinese restaurant that was in the original Domino's from oh, back in the seventies. Now Monahan, who runs Domino's is a huge Catholic, yeah, very no, conservative, very traditional. Yeah, and yeah. he has had a big impact on this area right off 23 North Ann Arbor. He had a law school there for a long time and he wanted to buy U of M a huge law school. But the, one of the conditions was they had to allow biblical Catholic, a biblical law class or something. Um, and they wouldn't do it. So then he set up his own, then he moved to Florida and built his own like uh, community from scratch. It's like some Disney town style insular. Yeah, like the central cult. part of the area. <laughs> like that or, or is it Jupiter? Oh gosh, I think I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, but, yeah. But, and if anyone, uh, anyone out there is a whiz with uh, researching land ownership and wants to let Recluse know who owns Big Martin Island. Yeah, it would be fascinating uh, <laughs> to know. Certainly. 
I am curious. And thank you guys again uh, for all your support and so forth. And with that note, I say as always, good night and good luck to you all. <laughs>